Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 79. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies that are currently available for streaming on the internet. So you don't have to. This week we're talking about the 2012 film Sinister, which is on Netflix. And we are joined once again by great friend of the podcast, James Skosky. James, hello. Hello, how's it going? Skosky! <laughs> yes uh it's good to be here doing something it doing feels something like forever when was our last i think it was one of the Pre- chucky ones right was it cult of oh, chucky damn i think it must have been yeah god that was a really long time ago <laughs> it's it's definitely because my computer died because <laughs> we had another oh, one yeah. planned that didn't happen and it's because my computer died and i didn't have anything to record with now we're all on our work computers. Episode sixty. God, that's nuts. Yeah, this is not my work about. computer. This is a, this is a podcasting computer, baby. <laughs> I do not actually use my work computer to do content, but I could. I feel like a lot of people are now in these days. James is. Yeah, yeah. I have to. Shh, don't tell anybody. He's <laughs> on for podcast now. <laughs> Shh, yeah, just keep it all in the down. Someone's gonna report you. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sinister is a film that was. Produced by Blumhouse and was directed by Scott Derrickson, who is now pretty famous for making the Marvel film Doctor Strange and quitting Doctor Strange 2, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. He has since apparently been placed by Sam Raimi, which is quite a replacement. Yeah, it <laughs> is really interesting. Very God, different sensibilities. Very different. Uh, I'm trying to think if like Doctor Strange had any horror elements and i don't really think so not really dr strange is pretty good for a marvel film i think it's other good. than like the the uh lovecraftian like things at the end just like the uh you know yeah a little bit what but... they're what they're kind of fighting i can see it being i mean the sequel is titled multiverse of madness right so it literally like, like seems I carpenterish that. yeah yeah uh it's probably I, I, probably like an Ant-Man situation where like, oh, this is going to pivot in tone pretty hard. Right, you know, right, right, right. Sam Raimi has I just feel very like, distinct fingerprints. Yeah. Yes. I feel like uh, Sinister and Deliver Us From Evil and Exorcism of Emily Rose are nothing like Doctor Strange. I feel like those... Those are all Scott Derrickson? Those are all Scott Derrickson. Oh, shit. And I feel like, you know, Kevin Feige has done a pretty good job of just finding hot young directors and being like, hey... <laughs> Want to make a billion dollars? Yeah. yeah. Extra Rose is complicated for me. I I remember being mostly bored by it. Which one? I oh, never... Emily Rose? Emily Rose. I, I actually, I watched it as a teenager. My friend and I used to watch, like, all the really kind of, like, free movies that were available on, um like, Comcast uh, under the horror. That's how the first time I, I watched Scream 3 before I watched any of the Screams and didn't really understand Get what it. was going on. <laughs> but I always remember the twist. And I, we watched Emily Rose and we stopped about three quarters of the way through because it is actually, in my memory, more a court case than anything else. Is it like a courtroom it's, drama? It's yeah. a courtroom drama more than a horror movie, in my, in my memory, except that there is one really horrifying image uh, from the beginning where she's in bed with her boyfriend and he wakes up and he turns over and she's in this like horrifying frozen kind of locked position mm-hmm. that I just feel like is scary because it's that kind of classic thing of like, what if you were laying in bed and you turned right. over and your partner was doing that? That's fucking terrifying. So like, I feel like that's actually kind of true of Sinister 2, not Sinister 2, the movie, but Sinister also, is that like a lot of it is kind of, unimpressive except for these very specific impressions it leaves on you forever just would you both agree with that 
Mm. I would. I actually want to talk about... James, I want you to go first. What's your relationship to Sinister? Uh, I had a friend show it to me because I missed it when it came out, which is kind of rare, but I did miss it when it came out. And I just had a friend be like, oh, it's really good. You should watch it. Let's watch it now. And I just watched it and I was like, wow, can't believe this one slipped by me. You know? Um, yeah. And then there are parts of it that I've like that have definitely stuck with me and I'm like, really, really enjoy it. And I really like uh, mood horror. Like, I like ones that just have mm-hmm. like a really, really strong tone and atmosphere and like a specific vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, vibe yeah. So when, I, when I'm vibing, I tend to put this one on and... Uh, and ride the vibe train that this movie has. <laughs> it, it's, it is vibes from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, you know, I, I guess there's no reason to save this for later. The the soundtrack and score to the movie uh, mm-hmm. is really amazing. And um, it's not actually just like the score, because I've had to look it up because I, um, you know, would, you know, you'd look up the, you know, I have horror movie scores on my phone or iPod or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of the songs that are used in the movie really, really effectively that are like freaky as shit, uh, are actually songs that existed and they got the rights to show in the movie, but not put on the soundtrack. So you kind of have to like, yeah, you kind of have to like hunt down like these, these weird ass songs. Like the ones that are in the films. Yes. Almost all of those are pre-existing music. Wait, they're they're on the soundtrack because they're like, yeah, they're, they're s- not part of the movie score, right? Yeah. They're like they're so, in the movie. They're diegetic. They're di- yeah, exactly. I want to talk about these films, including their sound design. So, but wait, you're telling me that like that like looping noise? That's I think it's in the first one. That's yeah. from a song. Yeah, that's a song. I think. Hate that. Hate that. <laughs> so, if it's the one I'm thinking of, I have. Let's see. I looked a lot of these names up so I could pull them up. So that is a song called Gyroscope by Boards of Canada. Oh, that that like yeah that one like an ambient yeah that that like weird looping. Another one is a lot of the ones uh, used in the movie are um, I want to get the name right because I took the time. So it's a band called Accursed, and they only have one album called (laughs) Fragments of a Nightmare, and it's just nine nine or ten songs called like Fragment One, Two, Three, Four, and it's just ambient nightmare music and it's so god freaky. that's so accurate yeah it's so accurate that they are fragments of my nightmare yeah. for sure uh another one is uh by boris comma s-u-n-n zero right parenthesis 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 yeah that's just they're just called sun okay the <laughs> boris... they're, like a, they're, they're like a doom okay like a doom noise so you band. know them yeah blood sw- doom noise blood swamp what? is a song this is so far from anything that i know yeah this is the world away from my world sun are a great band and sun rule you okay love noise. so yeah so when you're watching this movie these songs are freaky as shit and they just like very they scary. get to you in a way that like when you're just sitting in a dark room watching this movie it like really creeps in and i like yeah. i more than anything else about the movie that that tone atmosphere music and the visuals are what like i love about the movie yeah the so transition I'm, into your it's what i want to talk about yeah. yeah so liz you and i watched this together uh probably in years ago 2015 yeah and this is not one of my favorite movies by any means mm-hmm. i like this movie yeah. i think it's pretty good the it's not giving too much away because we'll talk about this in 20 minutes, yeah. but there are a series of snuff films in Sinister. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's how the movie begins. Yeah. Yeah. It starts yes. with it. But, it's, but yeah, it kicks right the, they're, they're part of the plot. 
that mm-hmm. these these recordings of these murders have been have been videotaped and unearthed. Um, and I would say that I wrote this as my first note. I do think that is the thing that most people think of when they think about this movie, right? Yeah, is like the films themselves. It's yes. like eighty percent of the movie is sort of in dark rooms watching creepy shit. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Those films, which are like eight millimeter films, which I actually appreciate that it's uh, it's like film. Mm-hmm. It's not like most. We talk a lot about found footage versus footage on this podcast, yeah. right? A lot of quote unquote footage movies, especially of this time, would still be using like video cameras. Yeah, uh, I mean, he has a video camera. He uses it to record the videos for himself. The footage, the scary footage in the movie. Is eight millimeter film right? They're not videotapes. It's film like the reels ring or whatever. At one point, the film reels catch on fire. Like the yeah, the yeah. projector and the film reels are very essential to this. Yeah. That is different from if it was a videotape, like, like the ring, for example. <laughs> yeah. Something like right. we're talking about the scary footage being on a medium. Yeah. Uh, I'm going off track. The point is, these snuff films in this movie scared me so bad. Yeah. I don't know that I have ever been more freaked out by something in a horror movie. I mean this ever than by these films. I don't know what it was, but when we were watching this for the first time. I was crawling out of my skin. Not freaked out. Yeah. I was so upset. It felt, and we'll, we'll talk a lot about these because, it, like James just said, yeah. there are a lot of the movie. They feel too real. They yeah. really, really bother me. Yeah, because they're 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 shot on a Super Eight handheld camera that, like, you just sort of hold like the trigger and it it cranks, and it just it gives it this really, like you said, like really fucking scary feel. Yeah. And the visuals and are scary. And then it's playing this creepy ass music. The, music. the music, yeah. It's also, they're not, this is going to sound weird when I say it out loud, but roll with me here. They're not so bad that they become impossible. You know what I mean? There's an there's a supernatural element to this movie. Mm-hmm. And the what happens in the tapes, it's not like The Ring or other kind of found footage things or like Blair Witch where you're watching something and you see something happen where you, your brain can be like, that is not real. That didn't happen. You know that those things are not real. Mm-hmm. This is so seemingly possible. Yeah. Well, that it's like, yeah, uh, that feels too real. Well, some of them. Too so close. like, there's like, there's the, the last one is I think less, but still fucking freaky. I think, which is the... yeah, like you said, I think almost everyone that I can think of off the top of my head, I, I wrote them down, but I mean, I guess we can spoil the details of one or two, but like, Almost every single one of them could basically be recreated in real by somebody doing the exact same thing as like these filmmakers, but not with. Oh props. yeah, I think they're all. I think they're all. They all feel possible to me. I yeah. think that the lawnmower. So it's the tree. Lo- it's tree, car, the pool, pool, bed, lawnmower. Those are like five. I think that is that is plot order too. Because I know. I mean, I know lawnmowers last for sure. The bed one feels like the most we should, possible. We shouldn't be referring to the mug. We should do the recap. Okay, for, okay. let's do recap then. Right, yes. uh, I just wanted to say that, like, the reason this movie has stuck with me is because those have really freaked me out. Uh, and when I think of this movie, that is what I think of. Yeah. There's a lot more other shit in this movie that I don't like as much. I think it's it, it's more rote. It's more... I have other things to say about those things, but it's more kind of yeah. like run-of-the-mill, like, good horror movie kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, so, the, the human stuff is, like, good there's like good storytelling but it's yeah. it's pretty much like a haunted house type story execution but so much of the movie is like without dialogue sitting in the darkness watching these like snuff films and uh yeah in a real i think there's only way. one 
There's only one real, like, element from it that I think is really unique, which we can get to as soon as we start talking about the plot, but it does not go anywhere because it's not really what the movie's about, which is kind of to its detriment, but I also wouldn't expect it to be about that because it's about the snuff films. Yeah. So this movie was written by Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill, and it was apparently inspired by a nightmare that Cargill had after watching The Ring. So funny. I love James, that. James, <laughs> do you want to talk about The Ring? <laughs> I would love to talk about The Ring for five hours. <laughs> I have been driving my girlfriend insane with this like rabbit hole I've gone down. Um, not that it's important to this movie, but for quarantine, I basically like, I, I got the, uh, the arrow release of like of Ringu and I watched that and I listened to the commentary. And then that just sent me on a whole rabbit hole of finding all of the ring and ring adjacent movies and then once i like finished all of those that i could even get access to i'm just like finding all of the j-horror movies that i could possibly watch so like it's just the mood i'm in and i'm ready to watch it and i fucking love the ring um, yeah and i'm just becoming like crazy obsessed with it and like yeah and this vibe of like creepy videos as like a plot element in a movie are all of them is the whole franchise about the videotapes pretty much they're all about yeah, like the like the curse and the girl with the videotape. Like like one or two of like the modern spin-off ones involve putting a curse tape online like instead yeah, of I on mean, a VHS, but It's like, still about footage. I think the yeah. footage thing is really interesting. Yeah. And that's what I I've only seen the first one, yeah. both American and Japanese and nothing past that. The, Isn't there an Alien versus Predator one? There's actually what? I just found out there's several. So like oh. apparently Sadako is like the the name of the the ring girl in the Japanese one it's Samara in English um which apparently is they're like related but um uh like the names are related like they both or the girls <laughs> you know the the names are related in that like they're both based off of like a a death poem or something like that it could be wrong okay um mm. but there's like the ring versus the grudge movie which was really fun and um what yeah that's on shutter oh it's just God. like it's insane. <laughs> it's super fun. And then, like, apparently there's other, like, Japanese, like, horror characters that have fought off against Sadako. It's the, oh, she fights shit. Sadako. And, like, this other horror ghost character in a Japanese movie that's, like, if you're bullied, you summon her and she, like, murders bullies. Which she oh. fights Sadako. I'm like, okay, well, let's let's find this. These are like pretty obscure and hard to find. I haven't really seen them, but I yeah, know they exist. This is quite. Where's the Sadako versus Bagul movie? I, Bagul. I that would be Bagul's the ghoul in this. Yeah, his name is Bagul. <laughs> what? What did they say that? A couple times. Oh, is that is that what the like is that Mr. what the Boogie. professor yeah. is talking about? I've only I've only referred to him as Mr. Boogie in my notes. Uh, it's like uh, Bagul is the demon that he's talking about. With the it's like Pazuzu. Yeah, it's it like, like nobody calls the the demon Pazuzu. Well, and Bagul means boogeyman or boogie. So yeah, so it means boogie. Has boogie. Something like that. He's boogieing all over the place. He is the boogie. He's vibing. Yeah, he's okay. got a vibe. So anyway, super <laughs> super fun to watch. More like movies where the uh video is cursed oh i've seen there's also a uh, korean remake of the ring that came out before the american one and it's like it's it's sort of like watching uh gus van sant psycho where you're like <laughs> they definitely just like almost shot for shot remade this but it's korean it's yeah odd and like the video with the cursed video itself is different and weird not as good 
but you know like it's interesting to see like what people think to put like on a tape where you're like okay the tape itself is supposed to be scary in the context of this movie or video um trying to think because i i never really i i will say i shame myself on this podcast that i've only seen the ring once and i didn't like it uh I, it's about it, horses it did not frighten me because i think I, I saw it when i was uh my freshman in college mm-hmm. and i know that if i'd seen it when i was younger which is when i saw the trailer for the grudge and it scarred me for life uh i know that i would have had a different relationship with it but i never got to like experience it as a young person and then got to 19 years old and was like this is now not bo- it's it's not exciting enough for me i saw the ring um, in theaters <laughs> Oh my god, when did it come out? It's like 2002, I was like 11. Oh my god, see, I kind of wish I had that experience, although maybe I wouldn't like horror. It was, <laughs> maybe it, I'd be like scarred for the rest of my life. It did, it did really like freak me out, and that might be one reason why I love it so much. I do think there, it, the American yeah, remake is, is actually like a legitimately, truly great remake of a, of a movie. I think it's like... I, all I, I remember I, is I The Well to, and the Horses. I would love to revisit it, because I really do The Well is like the thing in the Japanese one, experience. the horses are not. There are no horses in Ringu. Like Maybe a, we should just watch Ringo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll buy the Arrow box set. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's what I need is more Blu-rays. But there is something really freaky about it. There, there's another horror movie I'm thinking of. I can't think of what it is, but the idea of, like, you're just doing something and then you see something that you uh, did not want to see and it, like, haunts you forever. Are you, like, have you seen, well, I guess, like, uh, is it Pekepsky Tapes? Is that how you say it? Have you heard of that one? No. Poughkeepsie Tapes? It might be Poughkeepsie Tapes. That's like a movie where, um, isn't this a movie people hate? <laughs> no. So, well, it's just people have a hard time watching it. Cause it's like, it's like disturbing, disturbing. Yeah. I thought this was one of those ones. That's like the, another movie of this legacy that we're talking about. is v- the VHS franchise. Oh yeah. Uh, I thought the Poughkeepsie tapes was like a, what are movies like this? A Serbian film. Like, one of those ones that it's, like, it's so boundary-pushing that people are like, fuck that movie? It's it's in the more watchable camp of those kinds of movies, for sure, I think. Okay. But, like, it's just, like, a bunch of tapes that, I don't know, if it, I, it's been a while, but, like, investigators find, like, 500 VHS tapes. Yeah. And it's, like, serial a serial killer, shit. like, recording himself doing horrible things to people. And that's pretty much the movie is just, like, these people going through and watching them. And it's pretty I fucked up. I do feel up. like... Session nine is kind of like this. It's not tapes. It's um, recordings, but it has that same kind of thing of like you listen and then it twists you in some way. Have you seen session nine? No. Yeah. It's, it's like a guy finds a bunch of, they're like, they're, they're cleaning like, uh, out or yeah, renovating a psych, a psychiatric I hospital. Think they're they clean, find, I think they're cleaning it out. It's like abandoned yeah. and they have to like clean it out and re, uh, and they find tapes of someone, uh, therapist, like recordings with someone who has multiple personality disorder. I think and that's like, yeah the setup. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Since but I know that I know that he gets sort of taken over by it in what ends up being a kind of supernatural way. In the same kind of way where it's like you list, he's like sitting there in the basement listening to these for like hours and hours and hours, and it ends up getting too inside of his head. I think in a supernatural way, not just in like a, I'm being driven crazy by listening to this all the day, but like in a way that's like there's something on these tapes that sort of comes out. I I and like him. I like that trope a lot. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So this movie (laughs) is related to everything we're talking about, but its own thing. Ethan Hawke plays a man named Ellison Oswalt, and he's a true crime writer. Sure is a name. Which he's a he's a popular true crime writer. Not the true crime. I guess true crime was true crime invented within Cold Blood. 
Yes. Yeah, Capote did that. Yeah. Uh, you have him to thank. This movie in 2020, with the industry that true crime has become, it's so interesting. Like, this is pre the podcast serial, the first podcast serial yeah. uh, that set off this craze. Like, this was, like, on the cutting edge of, like, the true crime boom. Which is why he says, he says, this could be my in cold blood. Yeah. Like, he, that's that's his reference point, uh, is Capote, not all of the people who do yeah. true crime stuff now. He moves into a house with his family. Mm-hmm. He, the implication we get from his family is that they just move all over so he can write his fucked up books about the fucked up shit that happened. Which he has not written a good one since his first one. Well, that's what the cop who hates him says. Well, uh, but I think his wife kind of implies that too. There's some we never find out what happened, but we found out that he wrote one of his books based on a theory that was wrong and it backfired and like a serial killer the went wrong free. guy and yeah. like, the wrong and, like guy. there was blowback from it and he's like semi disgraced. Yeah. But his first book, the opposite happened where he followed up on a theory that the police didn't follow up on and he solved the crime. So that was like his glory. And book then called he is Kentucky Blood. Kentucky Blood. And then since then, these books, I think that only happened once, what you just said, James. Yeah. But then he just didn't do well with other ones. There just wasn't enough, yeah. I guess, evidence or anything. The movie opens with them moving into a new house to do this again. And the sheriff of the town confronts him. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get this conversation that yeah. we're recapping now is the sheriff being like, you don't like cops. And we don't you th- like you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so his his most recent two books, Cold Denver Morning and Blood Diner, which don't sound like true car- crime books to me. Blood Diner certainly does not. That sounds uh, like an 80s slasher movie. In fact, I'm yeah. certain it is. I'm certain it is. <laughs> <laughs> he's moving into the house where the murder he's investigating took place. Yeah. And that, which he has not told his wife. And that we see yeah. happen in a snuff film in the beginning of the movie. Right. right. The cold open is just like four bodies hanging from a tree. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then they go still. And we see them. We, we see them fall. We see them actually rise, which is like so horrifying. Yeah, because somebody takes. Them, like, the... uh, I forget what they're called, but I've used them before. Those like long saws on a stick. <laughs> yeah. Where you like? Oh, that's. What, I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah, that it's... was cutting the branch. Well, yeah. You can't see who's doing it. Right. You just see the branch collapse, and then the people kind of rise up, and it's horrible. Yeah. And then you, you, he walks into the house and sees the tree in the backyard, and we're like, "Oh, you dumb shit!" <laughs> yeah. You idiot. So he moves into this house to write about the implication that we, that his wife from what his wife says is that he usually moves close to the house where some fucked up shit happened. Yeah. Now he's moved into the house Mm -hmm. and he finds a box of footage and it's the footage we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like he, he goes into the attic and there's like a scorpion and then he drops. Can we talk about the scorpion for a second? Okay. Why is there a scorpion? Uh, because the scorpions live on long Island or wherever the fuck they are. No, I it's, it's, think it was more supernatural yeah, as we They depicted on. a scorpion w- uh, with Bagul in one of the few remaining pictures uh, that have survived that have not been burned. Yeah, there's so a, the scorpion there's is the boogeyman? Snake, there's also a snake later when he goes yeah. up to the attic again. Yeah. And that's when, to me, I was like, okay, this is not like a scorpion up here. Like, scorpions are n- native to this area. It's like the scorpion and the snake are representative yeah, of the demon. Yeah, but snakes the, live the everywhere. Not that scorpions snake. Scorpions are a southwestern That thing. snake was a southwestern snake. That is not a northwestern well, snake. Well, isn't it? Looked, it looked like one of those Midwest snakes where you learn the poetry about it. It's like a, a coral snake or something, right? I don't know Midwest snakes, okay. but I know Northeastern snakes. <laughs> it had the, no, it's yeah, not a Northeastern okay. snake. It's an orange. It's going to come up again because, uh, well, Evan and I are from St. Louis, and it's going to come yep. up again because I have a funny thing to say about that. 
But I think it's like one of those like red touches black, red touches yellow poems that you learn as a kid. Because there's all uh, kinds of garden snakes, and it was like, it was a, uh, it was like red and black, and the black was touching the red, so it's not a poisonous snake. It's a snake. I think it is one that exists in the Midwest. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, he drops a box on the scorpion, uh, and then it breaks open flooring in the attic, and he finds a box. So like somebody specifically put it there. Well, I think that's the important thing about like plot wise is that he did not move to this house to watch snuff films. No. He moved to this house to write this. And then in the course Which of it, it's weird because he, it, there wasn't any evidence. Him finding this evidence was purely coincidental. I mean, not for the person giving it to him yeah. person. Cool. But like he didn't, there's no other, he, he moved here only for the vibes. Like, <laughs> well, he moved here because the family was hung in the backyard. Right. He didn't know about the. This movie is about a linkage of murders because of this demon serial killer. Yes. The. He moved here to solve the disappearance of a girl, not even to solve the murder oh, that's of the true. family. It's just for the it's girl. It's just went. because it's this girl is missing and they can't find her, and he thinks the cops are like doing a bad job. And he keeps so, he keeps holding out hope that she's like alive because like even when the wife is right. like, oh yeah, like you've come here to like investigate some dead girl, and he's we don't know she's dead. She's you know. missing. Okay. So like, Can I talk so the, about his cardigan that he wears like 90% of this movie? <laughs> I actually think like, it's kind of funny because it, it looks very odd on him, but I think it's a good piece of uh, um, uh, costuming, costuming because he, if you remove the, this like very fancy cardigan, it's like a, it's almost like a robe cardigan. It's like, yeah. Cause it has um, elbows. It has like yeah, the, leather the patch leather elbows, elbows that yep. make him look so pretentious and like, yep. like trying like to look like English a professor. professor. But yep. if you take it off, he looks like a like a like a drunk. He looks so beaten down. His he hair is, is is greasy yeah. and gross. We should say also, uh, it's Ethan Hawke. Yes, I feel like we should talk about that. that. Did you say that? Yeah. Okay, I didn't hear you say that. I think it's essential because Ethan Hawke is a very good actor. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's an excellent actor. You've now seen him do a lot of really great acting in his career. Um, but as you said, a lot of this movie is just watching snuff films. And so Ethan Hawke has to do a lot of reacting in this movie. Yeah. And I will say, as a huge fan of Ethan Hawke, I don't know that he always pulls it off. Well, I think the task he's given is pretty difficult, which yes. is like, he we see some fucked up shit. He and the viewer see some fucked up shit. And then he goes and pours himself a drink, which yeah. like, and he has, same, same. <laughs> and he has to look like, oh, this is just awful, but I have to keep watching it. And yeah. like, my career's on the line. If I had his job, I would be alcoholic too. Oh like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. He keeps it together. And one of my favorite things, his wife is a very funny character to me. Um, I, I don't know that What's she's her name? no idea. Yeah. I don't know that she's super well written because I really hate in the very beginning. That was why I asked point, what her name was. That's yeah, the point. Uh, she's, she's, no, nothing. she's nothing. Um, there's a point in the beginning where she's like, listen, um, you know, I'm on your side here. I'm, <laughs> I'm always on your side, but if this book doesn't go well, I'm taking the kids. And I'm going to go live with my mother. Is that fair? <laughs> Which is the most insane thing I've ever heard anyone say. Like, one, you're not on his side, if that's how you feel. <laughs> and two, it's not like, oh, if this book fails and then you realize that you need to write college textbooks for a living, which you've said would be like the death of your art. Like I'm not giving you another chance. If this book <laughs> fails, I'm out. Well, which to me is like, then why are you even still here? It's yeah. insane to me. It's, it's, She's not well-written. It's like the stakes in the book of the shining, except they're trapped. <laughs> In The Shining, right. where right. she's like, oh, you're, like, going to abuse our children, and I need to get, like, our, ch our child, and I will get Danny and get the fuck out of here. Except she's just like, yeah, if this just goes bad, like, I don't know. 
But it's just, it's so, it's so bananas to me that it's like, if the book goes well, so what? Then there's another book and he'll do this again. It just, it's like, it's, it's a weird way to be like. Yeah, he's not a cop with two days left till retirement. Right, like, like if, he, if your husband is a bad father and you're worried he's going to abuse your children, don't wait until his book goes well. Just leave now. It sort yeah. of feels like just make him kind of just do this on his own, which makes more sense anyway because he's not able to parent. This man does not sleep. No. Like, to skip kind of ahead in the plot because a lot of the same stuff just happens for a long time, which is just that he's watching each film and of course like after he watches one of them he has to take kind of like some time to kind of like recover and he well he records them with his camera i like that and, when he watched so he gets the box out of the attic there are these snuff films that we've been talking about and he reels one up and he watches the first one and it freaks the shit out of him and his first reaction is to call the police and then as he's on the phone he like looks at his like old book uh kentucky yeah. blood yeah and he's like I got to keep this to myself because they I'm will gonna, not help me. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to help me. And this is going to be, I also view it as like, this is going to be my big break and I need the edge. Of, yes. Yeah, he's this. like, I, if I do this by myself without yeah. their help or like, it could be my big, another one of my big breaks, which is like, I guess just the fact that he's like there. Cause then once he also, he sees the first one, he realizes the, the, these people were murdered. Then the, by the second one, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Now I've uncovered a string of serial murders that goes back decades i think he watches so then he's like i'm fucking on to something now i think he watches three in one night yeah he, yeah because he, he definitely even... saves the last couple for the end yeah he doesn't spread them out super much well he's yeah but a little bit we can talk about the investigation of the links i think that is its own conversation yeah um i also want to briefly touch on because liz you're right that there's a lot of like breaks in between for the viewer in between these snuff films yeah, which I think is where good. stuff happens, which I agree is important. So we don't kill ourselves yeah. while watching it. Cause it's so <laughs> fucking dark. Turn it off. Like, uh, like I'm done. I want to hit those real quick because they're not really that important. Yeah. I don't even remember. But them. the first one is that he finds a box. He hears a noise. Yeah. He hears a bump of the night. Oh, right. And he finds a box and his son is in the box. Like he unfurls Spread himself eagle. backwards yeah. and he's screaming cause he's having night terrors. Yeah. His son has night terrors, and his daughter is a painter. But only on the walls of her bedroom. Yeah, she's only allowed to paint in her bedroom. Which fair. Uh, is there anything else that like goes bump of the night? That's like that's the first one. Are you, are you, are we doing in order? Or Just in general, you... like what are the what are the because um, until it until it all his comes son together. Is in the bush. Yeah, until it all comes together with what's going on with these murders, they're all just kind of like yeah. He finds the same kind of sort of thing. He hears something outside. The Mr. Boogie has been in the bush before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he goes out to the bush to look for him, I guess, because maybe he also sees him out there. And his son is in the bush, still having a night terror. Mm. Same kind of thing, like, but getting worse. Yeah. Like, if he's leaving the house and, like, is... I mean, the, his son looks terrifying, like, in the bush uh, in the middle of the night. Um, oh, and the dog is out there, too. Yeah, he there's sees a, a dog that's growling at him. A big dog, and it's not growling at him, it's growling at... Four ghost figures behind Ethan Hawke that right, we cannot... The ghost he, figures. He doesn't see. Is that the first time we see the children? Uh, it's hard to... Maybe. Sequence isn't terribly important, No, because yeah. there is... I will actually... There, I will say that there. this is a scene I really do like, because this is... That might be our first time seeing the ghost children, mm-hmm. but this is our first real like experience with them, mm-hmm. is that he is walking through the house, and the ghost children... We've not said this, but we sort of see... He finds the lid, the box lid, has... Um, 
things drawn all over it, and there it sort of implies, I don't know when this is implied, but it is implied that all of the families who died, there was a child missing. Yes. That, it's like, not implied, that's stated. Yeah, when, as he watches when each, they're talking about the, each yeah. of the videos, he's like, where's the daughter? And the next one, he's like, who shot the video? And because, like, yeah, because sometimes you see them having fun beforehand. Yeah. Not all of the videos have it, but some of them have footage being shot of them and you can see oh this family has five children but only two of them get hung or like yeah. and this family has was... four has two children and yeah uh so like that's part of the investigation yeah. so, th- so there's that. a point where he realizes that that every case has a missing child so it's like where are the children where where have they all gone if he can discover this he's gonna fucking make it in true crime mm-hmm. uh he's walking through his house and there are children there's like he'll turn and there'll be one kind of staring right at him and so she's like, I think it is, it is the girl from the most recent murder, the, Stephanie, who's the one who's like, he's actively looking for her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's crouched kind of on the counter, like staring at him. And then when he sort of turns away and she is also leaving, she kind of runs and she runs into the darkness, the darkness. And it's like, but it, the way That's she much moves, that's almost the end of the movie. Well, yeah, but it, it, we're talking about the breaks between it's, yeah. it's uh, like, um, it's like they had the actress like run at full speed and then they play it back in like super slow motion. Slow it down. I really it like great. that. Yeah, I it's... think it looks awesome. They're like, these kids are like on another plane and I think it's really cool that they move in this like really slowed down way. I think it's extremely effective. Yeah. And he can't see or feel any of it. Um, right. They're just kind of watching him. Uh, there's... And they're, they're doing a little bit of harassing of the kids too. They're definitely harassing the daughter. There's like a, a very minor fake out where he hears like thumping and he goes to investigate, and it's just his daughter, and she doesn't know where the bathroom is because they just moved in. Yeah. And she's oh, just yeah. like, I don't know where the bathroom is. And um, I like that the fake-out, um, not scares, but the fake-out moments don't have, like, a huge music sting. It's more like the tension swells, and then it just stops. Because, like, you know, in a lesser movie, it would just be, like, you know, loud noise, and then it freaks you out. It's more like it, it builds that tension and wants you to ride that tension, and then it's dissipates yeah. you're 100 percent right mm-hmm. and that's why the last shot of this movie sucks uh <laughs> very very valid yeah <laughs> I, can't remember, I can't remember there's another music cue one of my favorite parts because there is a music cue the part that made me jump the most my least favorite of the snuff films both in the fact that least it's favorite free, least favorite what's in your the, favorite the one where they drown um, I think that's like the one where they drown is the scariest to me. Should we describe them or should we just the not do that? Scares. We're, that's a whole conversation. That's what I'm separately. saying. The lawnmower scares me the most and there is a music cue for it, but it's, it's done deliberately by Mr. Boogie to fuck with you. So like, yeah. it makes sense to me, but I don't know if there's a music cue. My other, the other one that freaked me out, which is when Ethan Hawk is sitting, he's watch. he's figured, he's made the connection between all the videos that they all have that face Mm-hmm. That creepy jigsaw esque kind of face and in the a, background, and a symbol is in a is seen in yes. a couple of them. Yeah, and he's he has the he has it pulled up on his screen the one of in the car, um, and he's looking at something else, and you see, or maybe he's on the phone yeah. with so so maybe yes, and um, the the guy on the screen the face the ghoul the ghoul turns to look at him and then looks back and that does genuinely freak me out. It's great. And then right after that, he looks at footage that he take, took of himself and there's a bunch of ghost hands grabbing him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like, it's like the same scene. Because he, yeah. he, he, he goes up to the attic again. That's when he sees a snake and he falls through the floor slash right. ceiling into the house. And he has footage of it because he was recording it. Is that what happens? Yes. Yeah. They pulled him. Yeah. And then, yeah, 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 so yeah, I yeah. guess that's a good time to talk about, I think absolute best character in the movie 
Deputy so and so. I want to talk about the investigation. I want to give Liz a chance to talk about this. Yeah, why? Because there's a reason Liz wanted to watch this movie. Yeah, the reason I wanted to watch this movie, I alluded to this um, on a past podcast where I talked about how Stephen King's It has truly and completely taken over my life. (laughs) Um, With the impetus being It uh, Chapter 2 that came out last fall. Your favorite film. I hate that movie. (laughs) If we're gonna if we're gonna talk about favorite films, I have seen It Chapter One uh, eight times now. A movie James Ransom does not appear in. (laughs) James Ransom is not in that film, but he is in uh, It Chapter Two. He He plays plays Eddie Casbrack. Eddie Casbrack, my sweet sweet Eddie. Um, I don't like It Chapter Two. I have only seen it twice. Uh, That's the one that has uh, James Ransom in it, though. James Ransone is in the film as Eddie Kasprak. And that's why you want to watch this movie. I have seen James Ransone, not in a chapter two, but in lots of gifts mm-hmm. and people draw him a lot as Eddie. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I have a specific relationship with PJ Ransone. Okay. That's what his friends call him. Liz his is one friends of his friends. call him PJ. <laughs> All right. Liz walks uh, around the house talking about PJ. I love PJ. Uh, and I think that like, Deputy So-and-So is one of his, like, best roles. We have actually watched him on the podcast before. He is the vampire in Family Blood. Bad movie. A terrible movie. James Ransom's career is not fantastic, but he is in several horror movies. Um, and I do really like him in this movie. I think that he is, like, he's the only comedic relief. Right? He appears. He's he appears as a... really funny. He's so funny. The whole thing about the scorpions having feet but you wouldn't hear them yeah. is... <laughs> incredible we should clarify yeah he appears as a deputy who wants to be thanked in the acknowledgments of this book Mm -hmm. so he goes speech he goes above and beyond to help ethan hawk because he wants to be in the acknowledgments but the way he says it i love it he says you know how you always in the acknowledgments there's always like somebody who helped you like i couldn't have gotten this done without deputy so-and-so like let me be your deputy so-and-so so we never find out his real name he is only referred to as deputy so-and-so for the rest of the movie, which yep. I absolutely love. I think it's incredible. I think it really, like, there's there's not a lot to this movie that I feel like is really deep, but I, if, there, if anything is really deep, it's that Ellison sucks, that he truly is, like, the worst. Yeah. And it's because he both is, like, deeply pretentious and also, like, thinks that he's not pretentious, that he's like, I could never, ever, ever write a book for money. Like, oh, God. From, uh, I only write books for the art. And then half of this movie is like, I will only write books for money. I will have no integrity whatsoever. So he literally is on both ends of the spectrum yeah. of being a piece of shit. Yeah. And the fact that Deputy So-and-So never gets a real name is very testament to his absolute like selfishness. Mm-hmm. And that everything's only about him. He doesn't think about his wife. He doesn't think about his children. Even his only ally in this movie is no more than a deputy so-and-so to him. Right. Because that's, that's smart. how he refers to him that's only. That's smart. I always thinking this brain up here. Again, I don't think there's a lot that's deep, but I think that him, that being his name and how he's credited, it isn't even like he has another name that we just don't hear of a bunch. Like that's his name. Yeah. yeah. And spoiler for the sequel, he's the main character. He still doesn't get a name. He's, I know. He's former deputy so-and-so in the it's sequel. It's so funny. It's very interesting. I yeah. think it's a, great, it's a great little detail about this movie that I think there's a, there's a few of them that take this from just kind of a run-of-the-mill Amityville-style kind of like haunted house movie mm. up to like 
this is just a kind of step above that and that detail is one of them i think the snuff films is another part of it and i mm. think the true crime aspect you mentioned earlier is the third part third yeah. branch of that and he has so many lines that he delivers there he doesn't deliver a single line hammy it's always like very flat uh um very frank with like um deadpan yeah, yeah. very de- like cuz he you know he's just like very serious and he's just like ethan he Hawk- believes what he's saying yeah ethan hawks <laughs> like vividly. he's just like you know like um you know, I don't believe in any like ghosts and stuff like that. And deputy's like, yeah, of course you wouldn't move into an active crime scene if you, if you did. (laughs) And then he's just like, you know, so you don't believe in ghosts, do you? And he's like, are you kidding me? I believe in like all of the ghosts. Yeah. I would not spend a night in this house. (laughs) He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, four people were hung in your backyard. Yeah. I'm I'm really, I have not seen Sinister 2. I'm really interested in seeing it for him because I think that he works so well as a supporting character I mean, obviously, my relationship with PJ aside, uh, I I am interested to see how they kind of take him from the perfect supporting character into a lead because it's it can be a tough thing. Again, Ethan Hawke, great actor, someone I really really enjoy seeing, did not doesn't do great in this movie because it's not a very deep character. He just sucks <laughs> and is watching movies the whole time. <laughs> like that's just yeah. kind of his whole thing and Mood. looking afraid. And my least favorite, my number one pet peeve of any film saying things out loud to an empty room, which is kind of a script problem, but like also is probably a directing thing of like, you can maybe direct an actor to say something a little bit more like they're trying to, f- if they need to say it out loud to figure it out. But there's a not, it's not really a twist of this movie, but it is the, the, the thing, the, the, it follows aspect of it. Um, that where he says it out loud and it is so stupid, especially when it could be delivered by another character in a phone call, but he says it out loud and it is extremely dumb. I think that's like always a kind of a rough thing. I, so, okay. So I will get to, I don't want to say a nitpick because this is like the most pointless nitpick, but, uh, having grown up in St. Louis, uh, he sends deputy so-and-so to investigate, one of the previous murders um, from the tapes that happened in St. Louis. Um, Mm -hmm. One fake address. It sort of exists. It's like three pieces of St. Louis, like matched together. It's like an area by the river, but the zip code is like Melville. It's so interesting. It sounds like someone trying to come up with a fake St. Louis address. Like it it actually, it's interesting that it works in that regard. Yeah. Like they deserve credit for being like, it's not just like, I don't know. Hollywood Boulevard like it's like it's a real sounding yeah it's it's a street that's by the river and it's by an O'Reilly so it's not a house (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but the zip code is like the Melville district and then uh he looks it up and this is where I gotta give the movie zero out of ten um they he watches uh footage uh like news footage from 1998 when the murder took place and it was channel 10 news there is no channel 10 in St. Louis. It is two, four, five, nine, eleven, and 30. There was oh no God. channel 10. Call Derrickson and tell yeah. him he did a shitty job. Where's the dramaturg? Yeah. That's my question. Zero out of 10. This probably would have been Fox 2 or WB11 in 1998 <laughs> or NBC, I think, was five. NBC 5. Yeah, NBC, NBC 5. 5. I forget what I CBS have... was for. I CBS do have nitpicks in this movie. ABC's 30. Yeah, like, and then I PBS was nine. Oh my God. I don't <laughs> think this is a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination. I do have nitpicks, but I do like they're mostly at the end. Do you want me to save them or do you want me to describe them now? We can we can go through it because we're honestly getting to a point where like 
we're gonna get through the plot because like there's yeah. not a lot of let's plotty plot in the movie. It's just kind of let's like finish a, the plot. Yeah. Okay. Because we you're right, James. We're almost there. Mm-hmm. Let's all all we have to talk about is the links between the murders. Yes. Which is and one of my nitpicks. What happens in the last ten minutes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Am I missing anything? I think that's it. It's just I want to talk about the way that these are linked. Yeah. And then we can. Wrap up the plot and, and nitpick all day. Yeah. Yeah. So, so deputy so and so points him to a professor who studies weird mythology, right? Yeah. Crazy cameo, by the way. Yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> is in this movie as if as if it was filmed in quarantine and they could only get him over Zoom. Yeah. They literally had a Zoom call. Yeah. He also, it's like so shit. funny because <laughs> I looks... do love everyone who's like really starstruck by him. Like so and so is starstruck by him. Mm-hmm. This professor is just like, oh my god, I'm Zoom calling with Ellison. Like it's like it. it, it that's neither nice little detail. They literally they did no footage of. They literally were like, hey. <laughs> D'Onofrio, yeah. can can you Skype us and we'll just film the screen and then that's all we're going to do? To the point like, D'Onofrio where, like, was not on set. He did not come to set. To the point where, like, it looks like his wife is, is just, like, wandering around in the background because this is, like, his, like, living room study or something like that. Yeah. That is very funny. Yeah. It's totally a Zoom call. Yeah. Yeah, it looks... It, it, he's not, but it almost looks... He's, like, at a desk, but it feels as if uh, he's, like, Skyping while laying, like, tummy down on the bed. You know, yeah. like... <laughs> You that's my saying? zoom that's how i zoom i i love that that's a good mood yeah it's it's kind of how it looks like but anyway he explains um that the symbol yeah the symbol uh is like a very ancient uh obscure uh daemon it's it's an obscure daemon yeah that like he's like you you don't get this very often because he's like metal bands trying to scratch like edgy symbols into a wall or whatever like this is not something they would be going for because there's like so little information about it and it's like mostly been erased a lot Mm -hmm. of the information about it has been like burned or destroyed Mm -hmm. um and he said it is like a demon that lives children it eats children and lives specifically in the art that depicts it real new nightmare shit yeah Yeah, you know, I really, I really zoned out of this part of the movie. I'm realizing that's why I couldn't remember who Bagul was his name. Yeah, his name and is I Bagul. really don't remember this. I think that there's something about me, genuinely, where I've seen enough horror movies where I always start zoning out at this part when they either go to the library and do research mm. or they talk to a professor of demonology. I'm always like, yeah, 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 yeah. Great yeah. horror movie podcast host. <laughs> You know what? I have opinions and I stand by them. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think that I think that it's always boring, and I think that like genuinely, especially this one where he's on a fucking Zoom. Yeah, like... with Vincent D'Onofrio, <laughs> who again could not even get like be bothered to show That's up what I'm on saying. set. Here's a way to make the scene interesting. They're in this. They're at the college. They're walking through the quad. Like no, things no, are happening. That's the that's the like that's the cliche. That's the normal version of this. <laughs> yeah. That's how most movies would do it. Scott Derrickson says, "Fuck it, I'm gonna call up D'Onofrio yeah. and see if he's free." My boy Vinny. <laughs> I think he's uncredited. Like legit. I think yeah. I, I, I think, think he, he is, is too. Because when you look it up on I IMDb, couldn't find him. you have to like actually click the see all. You can't just like swipe sideways. Yeah. You have to see you have all to go to, like at the bottom. You have to go to his IMDb. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily show up on the thing. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I get I think that's I think that you're right that it's amazing, but I will say that the scene <laughs> itself is boring. Um and I did zone out. Also because I get it. Like I think that's the thing is that like I don't think that my lack of understanding the demon in this movie well, we have to talk affected about the... my 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 enjoyment of it at all. So the thing that happens is that the demon 
Can we just talk about it? Yes. Yeah, I mean, we're at the end of the movie now. Okay, the demon gets inside the child and compels the child to kill the family. Yes. Well, kills the child, too, because the children are ghosts as well as... They're like demons. They're like super-powered ghost demons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They kill the family and they film it. Right? Yeah. yeah. The thing that the thing that's key to this, and the reason this movie has a sequel, is that when you move houses, that's when they kill you. So you get the house, you get the demon from the previous house that you were in, which is where the murder was, and then you move houses, and then it kills you, and then someone moves into your house, and then they move... And then when they move, they get killed. And then someone moves into that house. There's a lot of moving going on here. Things would be better if people just stayed in their houses. And what if you rent? Oh, very good question. Is property ownership essential to Bagul's whole deal? (laughs) This is my thing. I just think Bagul is stupid. I just think that his whole thing is dumb. And I don't know if he invented this thing or if it's like... Bagul? if If he... Like, in the story. In the world of this movie... Is Bagul compelled to do this because of whatever religion exists? He needs where he's... to eat the kids. Okay, but this, but the house moving thing specifically. I don't know. The house moving thing where Bagul's like, I want my vibe to be like COVID-19. Where like, you don't show symptoms until way later on after you, oh, you've already been sick and can no longer save yourself. Wow, a topical bit. I know. I, it's hilarious. Like, that just is dumb to me. What demon is like, I'm going to wait. Until and it's going to be hilarious. Like, I just think that, like... <laughs> you think he's I having, like, a laugh? He's like, those kind of, idiots. They moved Like, a out. little... That he's like, oh, you move into a haunted house and you were all on guard because you thought it was going to be spooky. And then no, nothing no, happened? Nothing happened. Didn't happen until you moved. And then I got you. And it's just like, that's dumb. I just think it's dumb. And it's sad because I think that the whole bit, like, in a meta sense, it's clever. I think that it's the kind of thing that sounds really cool, which is, I'm sure, how it made it into this movie is that it's like... This is like a step up. It has the it follows aspect, but still has that kind of like demon possessing you from Amityville and like um, even something like. Uh, well, uh, I what's, think what's the what's I the think it, it took one? from uh, um, Insidious where like I feel like that was the first movie to like pull the whole like, why don't they just get up, get the fuck out of this haunted house? And then Insidious, no. they do. And then it's I was like, gonna it say, doesn't what's matter. The thought, what's the really famous one? Paranormal Activity. Yeah. That was that was actually the first one I feel like for me and a lot of my friends that mm-hmm. was like, you, the the house is not haunted. You are haunted. You can run as fast as Isn't you want. Isn't that true The Grudge too? That's, a, that's different. The, it's not... The Grudge, yeah, that, that actually is like a thing, but it's it's actually pretty similar to how it's done in this movie, except this movie does it less so. In the grudge, it's like literally if you walk through the front fucking doors, that's it. That's you. You're you're marked, and then you'll yeah. just go wherever. And I do remember that the grudge too has that kind of um, virus. It's it's viral. It's like that character brings it to America, uh, is what happens in the grudge too. And yeah, so the like, American one. In yeah, spoilers for the like Juan, the Japanese one. That movie ends with just like everybody in the entire city dead because it just it just spreads. It's like, viral. Like, yeah. I think that makes sense. So, like, in, this isn't viral. Yeah. I mean, as much as they made the COVID-19 joke, it's not viral. It's like a weird... It's targeted. It, it just feels like a gotcha. And I think, that's, I think that's the thing that feels silly about it, is that a ghost virus, a ghost or demon, like, in The Grudge, or mm-hmm. 
in permittivity being like, I'm going to follow you forever and I'm going to have my, my little hands on you for the rest of your life feels different from like, and then even it follows where it's like, I will follow you until I get, you know, whatever button gets pressed when you guys have sex and then I'm on to the next person and then, oh, I kill you. Now I'm back. Like it just feels, that feels very targeted. This feels like, it feels like the demon being like, oh, it's going to be a twist. It just feels <laughs> too, too, like too much of a bit to me Un to feel like. And you know what? And actually, this leads into my next point that I that I feel like uh, is the thing that I feel really strongly about with this movie is that I think that it, the demon thing just doesn't really make sense to me with what we have for the rest of the movie, because what would work for me with this is if it was actually like a serial killer, because here's my question for you both. Is Bagul filming? No. They, these are magic tapes. No, the children are. How do they have a camera that helps them do this? Did Bagul give it to them? Well, uh, presumably it gets it does get moved because he burns the tapes, and then yeah. when he right. moves, they're there. So these are magic tapes, and no, I'm just. I mean, I guess, but they find the camera. There's a physical camera. That's why at so the he end he gives that his camera to the children. Him. It like appears. I assume, here's they what... film. This is what I'm saying. I just think there's a lot of holes in this like. No, I think that camera thing. It has a supernatural element. You just don't like that. I don't like when the supernatural element is like leapfrogs over logic. I think that the trouble is that we're so zoomed in on the Ethan Hawke family for this story that it it makes parts of the Bagul mythos seem less solid. Because I always viewed it as like, because he specifically lives in media, like media has to exist for him to like, exist and have power and like be on earth if that you know so in, again it's a new nightmare thing yeah so in order for that to happen these kids have to like make this tape and by making the tape or the the film they're like making him exist in this world so like sure that's why they have to do that and so maybe the spreading is like he goes from one place to the next because he doesn't want to cut it off in one house he has to like spread um, so he gets more power in more places, I assume. You know what I mean? James, like, let me pitch you. Let me pitch you a remake. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I want you to expand on this idea. Okay. So what if this movie, we remake, remake this movie, mm -hmm. except the Ethan Hawke family, the Ellison Oswald family, is like uh, Marion Crane in Psycho. Okay. Right. Like so, uh, <laughs> they get killed off. The entire events of this movie are the first twenty minutes of the Sinister remake. Okay, and then we can explore the Bagul mythos more. Yes, that's my pitch. Yes, who who explores it? I don't know. So and so, you find another story like in Psycho. <laughs> well, so well, that is kind of what happened. That's what kind either, of what Sinister Two is going to be about. It's my guess. They gave us the exact wrong amount of explanation. I think. Is the <laughs> I agree. I fully agree. I think that's exactly right. Because if you cut out. Um, you cut out the verbal explanation and you hint at like you get a snippet of like um, uh, it living in the media or the film somehow. You can feel that he lives in the the media because he's like coming to life on the computer screen or like yeah. in the footage and it changes. So like you could kind of feel that that's what's happening if they just cut all of the explanation out or um, they could explain like, a little better why it needs to like jump from place to place. Cause he's like trying to like spread his influence in more places on earth or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I just I think yeah I it's think it's just I think enough really right to make it maddening. <laughs> yeah, I think I just I just have a lot of questions with physical things like this mm-hmm. that like. Again, like I said in the very beginning of this recording, one of the reasons the snuff films are so scary is that, like, a person could do this. Yeah. And that, like, children had. Like, that's that's what we've already said, mm-hmm. right? It's the children ones doing the murders, which did make me curious. I thought that I had forgotten the ending, and then halfway through the movie I was like, oh, this is the kids, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then I forgot to look and see if it looked like a child's hand was holding the knife in the... That's the only time we really ever see... I don't even know if you see the hand yet. I think you just see the tip of the... You just see a knife? I think... I think I did so. remember that, and I was like, I'm very interested because I think that, like, that's what feels right about it is that they all do feel like they could be done by children. I mean, they have super strength. We have to because they tie it. them up and stuff. Well, uh, no, not they, just that, but they drug pulling them. the they drug them. They drug them, but pulling the things into the pool. I think a child could do that. No, it wasn't. Really? Isn't seven, a seven year old child can pull a rope. Isn't that it has... attached? To, there's a mechanism that yanks them, right? There's like Who's a. That no, I, I thought the child was doing it. I th- well, I think they are. I thought the ropes that were tied to those like lawn chair thingies were tied to like some kind of like spool or something. Oh, maybe I thought they were just being pulled. I mean, I still, maybe. regardless, a, a seven-year-old child can pull their parent on a rope lawn chair. Okay. Yes, I mean that's. I think yeah, I just think that's possible. I think that they're all the lawnmower is the least plausible. That's only a height thing, though. Correct. Well, really, all they have thing. to do is no, no, tip. No, it's a height thing. All they have to do is tip it up because the blade would still be running, and then they just go on. As somebody who has run over lots of stuff with a lawnmower, oh my god, it can be done. I'm, you know, not people. You know, I know. <laughs> Different conversation. Uh, to, uh, the freakiest one to me, I think, is the the car or the knife one, just because like I think they wake up because in a lot of them they're like drugged or like they they seem unconscious, but like when they just get like. They're in the car and they're just like bound, and then the car is just lit on fire. You're like, oh my yeah. god! I don't know. That one doesn't bother me as much. Well, I, I really mean, it's think all the pool, the pool one is the worst. It's personal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like they all, you're. It's all executed in a way that it does feel like you're not watching a movie anymore. Yeah, that's right. the thing. That's that's really why it gets under my skin. Yeah, yeah. it just feels real enough. And again, that music with it is just the music's fucked up. It's so scary. Maybe I should play some of that music at the end of this. Perfect. Just freak everybody out. Yeah, it's it's so scary, uh, so eerie, and so good. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I feel I feel your complaints. I feel like if it does falter in a movie, it's definitely the ending. If any any big part of it. Yeah. Um, I think it stumbles a lot. I think I alluded this earlier. Can we talk about the last shot? Yes. I hate it so much. It, it, flames on the side of my flames face. Flames on the side of my face. <laughs> Flaming. <laughs> the last shot is the exact kind of like rote jump scare. Bagul just jumps in front of the camera because he's got a scary face. Yeah. And there's an audio sting that is exactly like the it's ones that the movie shit. doesn't have earlier. Yeah, it doesn't have it, it at any point in the rest of the movie. It's, I don't think at all. It's nothing like the tone of this movie. Yeah. It feels so hackneyed and just the fact that it's the it last feels shot. Like the whole movie was made and then whatever studio exec was like, can you just throw in a little last little button there for it the audience? It feels exactly like that. In yeah. fact, I'm sure that's what happened. Yeah, I agreed. But it's the last thing you see before credits. So it feels bad. Yeah. You walk away from the movie being like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. It's infuriating. I think this is, the th- this is why I'm being so hard on this movie. Because I think that it has the potential to be, like, really special. Yeah. And I think that it just, it, it really has that. And then I just think that it falters because I think that it falls into horror movies of that time. I mean, honestly, like, 
15 years of like the all of the 2000s and a little bit of the early 2010s that was just like and then there's gonna be a big twist and then the last shot's gonna be the spooky monster going blah, blah, and everyone's gonna scream and it's gonna be a just make millions and it's just like this is the laziest kind of horror film like i guess not the laziest kind of horror movie filmmaking but a pretty lazy kind it's that just it, it's, it just feels like everything has to be twists it's yeah it's it's something that it didn't need it didn't even need a twist like you just investigate you know like i don't think answering a, a mystery that you're solving is a twist so they could have just done it that way because it's there. Yeah. All of the good, great things about the movie are all still there. It's also yeah. just kind of packaged in some, like, not amazing padding. But the creepy stuff is still just so scary. It's so scary. Yeah. It, anything that scary, I can't rate very low. Like, any movie that's that genuinely effective has to be ranked pretty well for me. Because I've seen yeah. so many movies that don't have that kind of effectiveness in them at all, you know. And I like plenty of movies that are not as good as this. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. The lawnmower one really had me. It, like, literally, I jumped, and then my heart was, like, beating kind of fast for, like, a full, like, minute afterwards, which I always feel is a very... It's a very good tell. It was not just the jump scare. It was both the jump scare and also this is awful to watch. And the mm -hmm. build-up, because you're just... You're just wondering yeah. what is this person doing with this lawnmower in the, the dark lawnmower. to this creepy ass music, and you just don't know. Yeah, the it, yeah, the anticipation really nails it. It yeah. is because the other ones, the other ones don't necessarily have that. The other ones, you sort of see what's going to happen, or at least some sense of it very quickly. Also, doesn't it have a? This does have a deeply clever name. Is that lawn party? All of these have kind of semi clever names too, which which also comes up at the end. Yeah, it's like it's um, like it's like family picnic, pool party, pool party. Um, Sleepy time. Is it like sleepy time. Sleepy yeah. time. Yeah. And then is this like lawn lawn party or something? Yeah, or like yard work or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think the fire one is like went for a drive or fun car ride or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, some, um, yeah, something like that. And the last one, which is when the way the way that um, which I had tricked myself when I think in this movie had a happy ending. I have no idea why. It doesn't. But the last, it does not. <laughs> but the last thing that happens is that of course his daughter gets. Super Begooled. possessed, begooled. Mm -hmm. That's a great, great term. <laughs> um, she acts, slaughters all of them, decapitates them, maybe into several pieces. That's sort of what her drawing yeah. uh, implies. And the new tape is called House Painting, which I was annoyed during this whole sequence of her killing them with the axe. I was annoyed for like all of it because I was like, why isn't this more clever? Why isn't this better? Because she's a painter. I was like... This should be more interesting, and then they sort of tried to give that to you with the like yeah. she's painting the house, and her like walking uh, into the background that then becomes the film is a really mm -hmm. good like visual thing. It's hard to describe. I agree. Yeah, but like I agree. there, like like you said, there's some really good visual stuff right before they just like have uh, Mr. Boogie come right out at you. Bagool. Yeah. Like McCavity style. Like McCavity. <laughs> McCavity! <laughs> so, okay. Now that, okay, I've just thought about this. So, how about if we're going to have lesser mashups, let's have Mr. Bagool versus Mr. Bedeviled 
2025. <laughs> 2025. Yes. <laughs> I'd watch I love that. it. It takes I five years it. to make that movie. <laughs> I, go, yeah, I love that Bagul can only communicate through movies. Yeah. And Mr. Bedevil can only talk through the cell phone. It's perfect. So they're having a really hard time fighting each other. <laughs> yeah. It's like old art versus new art. It's deep. They can fi- They can fight only on FaceTime. And yeah. like, that's it. It's yeah. deep. It's deep. <laughs> do you have anything else major to cover? Or can we transition into the like we? End? Do you feel like we um, covered the true crime aspect? I feel like we could talk about it a little bit because, like, just I do feel like it's interesting because the most famous, we all know that this could happen, right? That like mm. demons could, yes, Mister Bagul could come and kill us all. Yes, of course. Um, no, we all know that it could happen. That true crime writers could interfere with um, investigations. We know that now. We did, yeah. We've presumably known it for a long time. It's just that I think it's really interesting that the most famous, potentially most famous true crime writer of this time period. Like her book helped find uh, the bad guy, which is Michelle McNamara and I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Like her research specifically led caught the Golden State caught Killer, the Golden State Killer yeah. like led to the the the, the um, raising awareness about him and keeping the investigation open. And I like I don't know if it's because she worked with cops. Like I sort of feel like that's weirdly what this movie and life are telling me is that like good true crime writers will just like work with the police and this bad true crime writer. It's because he's working specifically to like gotcha to the police that he's specifically working against them in a way that's like, I mean, he's dumb. Yeah. He's, he's not a smart person. But I think that's, that's what's interesting about it is that it's just like, he is, he's not, he, his whole thing is like justice. He wants, this is his whole like, you know, fake thing is that he's like, the police are useless, and only I, great hero of the of you know yeah. American true crime, uh, can come and and save the day and find the answer by specifically working against them and making enemies of them. Well, that's how and, he justifies it to himself too, because he watches right. like old interviews from like when Kentucky Blood came out, and he was on top of the world, and he was famous, and you know he's saying all these pretentious things of like. Just, it's all about justice. Like that's, I would never write for fame or money. And you know, because you're watching the movie that that's exactly what and why he's doing it. Right. But like and this has nothing to do with justice anymore, but he keeps telling himself that it is. Cause when he justifies it to his wife, he's like, we got to do it for these like, you know, missing kids and stuff like that. And it's like, it's very clear. That's not at all what he's doing. Right. I just, it, I, I, what surprises me is that this movie feels ahead of its time. I think you said this when you were watching it, Evan, that like it, this feels ahead of its time to be so critical of true crime writers when I don't know that as a society we've actually reckoned with that because, uh, what do they call them? Like amateur sleuths, like Reddit amateur sleuths. Mm-hmm. And they're actually doing, they're still, yeah, they're still kind of heralded as doing like good, important work. Sometimes. What do you have? Do you have an example of something that like you don't feel like, I mean, the Boston Marathon bombing. In what way? They Reddit absolutely implicated the wrong person yeah. and wasted the police's time. Sure, but they actually still did find the guys. Yeah, okay, yeah, after five days. I know, I just, I'm trying to think of, I'm, I'm really trying to think of a situation where, like, true a true crime writer did that and it really had, like, long-lasting kind of implications. The way that it is implied here mm. that people's well, lives were ruined. I mean, there's, there's, there's things that, like, you know, there's... Uh, details about like the Zodiac killing case where like um, the most famous person involved with the investigation might have been somebody that wanted the narrative to be what he was saying the whole time. And therefore like the Zodiac killer might've been multiple people. Um, 
and like Graysmith. Yeah. Um, Robert Graysmith. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And so like his books on it have like sort of prevented like that sort of, you know, thing from happening where like, it's most likely the Zodiac is, is a couple people for lots of reasons, yeah. but copying each other. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, you know, and obviously we all, we all live on the internet and we see how like people coming up with theories in their house is really bad because there's nobody to like, be like, Hey, that's an insane leap. Um, yeah. Right. To make. I, just, I, I guess I, I still feel like we're, we're on the brink of that reckoning in a way that I think is interesting. Eight, eight years after this movie, this 2012. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Eight years after, I think we're still waiting. I think I, I, I'm still waiting, not waiting. Obviously I don't want it to happen, but I'm still anticipating a fall from grace of true crime, of yeah. true crime, because it's going to happen more and more as true crime things get more and more high profile. Um, and I, it's just going to get more and more like, I know I I've read it. I've listened to my favorite murder. I know I can solve this. And then you do something and it means that they can no longer implicate the person because something has been spoiled. And as the uh, true, true crime uh, uh, stories are more and more recent because all of the famous good ones have been covered to death over the last like decades, they're going to hit like some real raw, personal, fresh ones. That's going to cause a problem, I think. That's true. I just thought of one. Sorry. Um, the Jinx, the um, Robert Durst. Oh. Uh, they sat. They had footage that they sat on that they didn't show at the police for a year. Um, mm, to, in order to kind of make a good... In order to make this like flashy last episode. So the Jinx is a miniseries that aired on HBO. Um, Andrew Jarecki directed it. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm not going to explain Robert Durst, but he fucking killed some people. Yeah. Uh, and the last episode of that is them confronting him about this smoking gun that they found. They found a smoking gun in evidence, and they took it took them forever for them to get this last meeting with him. And the last episode is like really exciting stuff in that it seems to really implicate him. Did and it he air was, on TV? Yes, it aired on HBO, mm-hmm. and he was arrested right before that aired uh, in real life. Yeah, when it aired, not when it was filmed. Right, right before it aired because the information wasn't shared with police. So. Robert Durst, who was like, I don't know, 82 when he was arrested, probably didn't murder anyone in that year. Right. But he could have under different circumstances. Yeah. Sorry. I think that's exactly the kind of example you were yeah, looking for. Yeah, it did actually make me think of um, making a murder. I remember thinking, that was that was one of my first real experiences with like a true crime documentary where I was like, oh my God, they got the wrong guy. Like, help, help him. Like, get get him and, and you know, Brendan out of whatever. Like, they're, they're totally innocent. And, of course, then it came out later that, like, a lot of information had been skewed and things had been left out in order to craft a, a, a narrative. Let's just cancel true crime. I, like, that was very much an open investigation that they yeah. made something about. And they made it in such a way that wasn't like, I'm delivering the facts. It was like, oh, you finished that show and you're like, free them and you actually as a viewer you don't know shit about this story you only know what has been told to you and i'm sh- and there were massive campaigns to free the two of the- i don't even remember their names except the one of them is brendan after that Mark happened brandon Witz. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh after that happened because people believed so wholly that they were getting the full story mm. even though they obviously weren't so you heard it here on now screaming do not be an armchair detective <laughs> don't yeah armchair that was, that was the term i was looking for yeah, just like there's, there is honestly enough. I mean, there's still unsolved mysteries that you can have fun with mm-hmm. that it will never affect a real person. Hoopa like Bella and the Witch Elm. That was literally about to say Hoopa Bella and the Witch Elm. <laughs> That's why I prefer uh, cryptid research because it's all fake. It's all fun. <laughs> it's all honestly, fake. It's all fun. Even 
genuinely like the yogurt shop murders are never solved and that's kind of like you just want to sit here and list all the true crime things we know no i just feel like that's a really i, re- I read this is the thing i read a book we're veering into that territory. i read a book called <laughs> who killed the yogurt shop girls or something like that and i was got to the end and was like why the fuck did this not get solved like i'm kind of upset now are you ready to oh shit do some fucked up shit to this and then film it i'm not actually are you ready to get bagooled? Gotta fucking pull up the roulette. Are you ready to get bagooled? <laughs> get bagooled. I have it pulled up now. All right, how about you roll that roulette? All right, I'm spinning it. Our next movie will be... Oh, shit! 1922. Isn't that also another Stephen King? That's a Stephen King thing. I think so. Is that a Netflix? Netflix Stephen King? I think it is. Yeah. Is it a horror property? Uh, it does say here crime drama, but this is under the horror section of... The roulette. The roulette. James, have you seen this? I have, have you not. heard about this? <laughs> <laughs> it is Netflix. We'd re- we're re- returning yet again to Netflix. I think my dad watched it. <laughs> I mean, it's Stephen King. Yeah, I feel like it qualifies. It absolutely, yeah, it absolutely qualifies. Yeah. I right. think it's more like a Stephen King true crime wow. vibe. So relevant. All right, so our next movie so will relevant. be 1922. 1922. Yep. Mm-hmm. Always down for a Stephen King, uh, even though I hate him. I hate that man. <laughs> we, can talk, we can talk about it next time. I hate time. him so much. <laughs> Until then, you can check us out on our website at nowscreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at Now Screaming. Be sure to tell your friends about the podcast and tell them to leave a review and a rating. Yeah, please leave us a review. We haven't gotten a new review in a little while. If yeah. you haven't reviewed the podcast, please go do that right now. Even if it's... Yeah, whatever you have to say, I want to yeah. hear it. As long as it's positive. <laughs> Keep your negativity to yourself. Thank you to James Skosky for making another wonderful appearance on this podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's always fun. It's always such a great time to have you. Uh, I feel like this was less a... Sometimes we have you in for, like, Mm -hmm. either it's an area of expertise or you really want to make fun of a bad movie. Mm -hmm. This is just... uh, We miss you. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) and we're stuck in our house in a nightmare hell world, so... uh, Yep. It's it's good to be doing something. (laughs) Something productive. Yeah. I guess if you want, you can follow me at uh, Letterboxd. Because it's probably the only social media I feel safe using during quarantine. <laughs> uh, it's wholesome enough. Um, I'm at MST3James. Uh, you can see what current uh, J-horror, J-horror movie I've, I've, yeah. I've found um, and am watching. Or Stephen King adaptation, because that's where we are. Um, I want to thank Wes Craven for being awesome, as always. Uh, making good lore for horror movies. Uh, yeah. un- unlike Bagul, which is a little too messy for my taste. And um, to all of the bands who do music <laughs> in uh, in Sinister, like Accursed and Sun and uh, Over, because that music is awesome and super creepy and super unique and really makes the movie awesome. So It really is. Yeah, thank yeah. you. All right. Until next time, everybody, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.